Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Bless you, boys. What a game. Welcome to episode 56 of the Maple Leaf Hot Stove podcast. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Anthony Petrielli. We are coming to you at a point where not a lot is going on on the ice for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're not going to play again until Monday. We've got the little all-star break here. I think we've only had one game since we last spoke, which was the Winnipeg game on Saturday. But today we're going to get into a little bit of grading of the players. It's a nice moment to sort of stop and sit and evaluate and contemplate what we've seen so far. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go down the line, forwards, defensemen, goaltenders, coaching, give it all letter grades. I don't know what Anthony has graded. Anthony doesn't know what I've graded. We will see where these line up and where they do not line up. Uh, And we're going to start with the forwards. So we're going to start with the point scoring leader for the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is William Nylander. I am going to lead off by saying that I'm giving him an A. I know that the recent production has not been as strong, um, but if you look at the total body of work, like he has consistently driven a successful line. At times this season, he's been on pace for something like 120 points. Pretty confident that's not going to happen now. Um, when he was really going, he was doing a better job of getting a shot off, getting to dangerous areas. There's, and he's also learned to penalty kill a little bit, and he's looked a little bit dangerous on that side with the kind of power kill sort of mentality. I understand the criticisms of Nylander, but when I, I look at what has he done this season, I have a hard time going below A. I'm going to go below A. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> um I actually have him around a B plus at the moment, which it might be surprising to some considering the the point pace that he's on. And to be honest, adding penalty killing where I think he's actually quite a good penalty killer. I, I don't think he's a, you want him taking, you know, on for the opening face off of a penalty kill, but I think he is once the puck is cleared and you get to throw him over the boards and he can cause trouble in the neutral zone for teams and potentially even burn them on the counter attack. I think he's quite good. Um, The reason I have graded him outside of an A though, is because ultimately all said and done end of the day at five on five, he's been on for 32 goals for and 33 against. So we can talk about the points until we're blue in the face, but, Ultimately, I look at it and say you're you're actually getting outscored. I think his power play production has definitely juiced a little bit of his totals. I think some of their power play struggles of late in particular, uh, and by of late, I mean of almost roughly a month now, have been directly because he is getting perimeter shot happy. I think that's been a huge issue on their power play. I understand that he has ripped more than a few goals from those spots, but I think it's actually that, you know, for the past few weeks anyways, I think it's had a little bit of a a negative effect where he has kind of fallen in love with it. It's almost like an NBA player kind of falling in love with their jump shot instead of driving it and getting it to the inside. And I think it's had a, a real domino effect on it. So, you know, I love the skill. I you know, he's broken a number of games for them. There were definitely some early wins in the season that he absolutely carried them to. But, you know, I want to see him tilt it more on five on five. I want to see the power play get back in order of which he plays a big part. That's kind of where I'm at with him. I think that's that's understandable. That's fair. Some of the, the on-ice stuff, you know, it's got a not a great on ice save percentage too. Like there's some PDOing that's going on with that. Like if you look at kind of expected goals, he has generally been pretty good on that side. I get I I think the power play point is, is really valid. He has definitely settled for some shots where the percentage of scoring is going to be low. And if you miss that shot, the percentage of the puck kind of rattling around the boards or you not getting a good second opportunity is really high. And like that is an, a kind of a nasty opportunity cost, right? Like if Morgan Riley throws a puck on net from a spot he's not going to score from, that's more likely to be okay because you've got a guy 
right in front of the net, generally in Tavares with an opportunity to deflect, or they're going to be more rebounds. Where if, whereas if Nylander's coming from, you know, the wing and he's far out at a bad angle and he rips one and he misses, like there's a really good chance that that's going all the way around the boards and out or to somewhere where they're not going to get it. And that has played a factor on the power play. Um, going to Austin Matthews. Uh, I, I went with another A. I mean, has Matthews been a better player than Nylander? At this point, I think you would say yes. For me, all these grades are based on expectation, though. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, there's later on, I'm going to give, you know, spoiler, I'm going to give Simon Benoit a better grade than I give Mitch Marner. Does that mean that he's a better player? No, but there's certain expectations for each player. Like, if you do grades based on just how guys did, then you're just saying, who are the good players on this team and who are the less good players? which I think is less interesting. Anyway, Matthews has scored an absolute ton. Um, he has been sort of maybe not quite as good defensively as he's been at the very best of his capabilities there, but still good. And I think he's been interesting on the penalty kill, which I know they've gotten away from in recent weeks. Uh, I guess, you know, if, if he was a little bit more in terms of setting teammates up, if there's a little bit more continuity on the penalty kill or me feeling like he would be a true Selkie candidate, he could get the A+, but there's not that much more he could do. I wish I wish you were my teacher in elementary school, high school, university, all these things. I, I ultimately have him as an A-, minus, um, so it's slightly lower, but still in that A territory. The, the reason... The grade is, I guess we'll say on the high side, first and foremost, is because, you know, pacing for 70 goals is outrageous. He is an automatic goal right now. The way that he is hunting his shot down is honestly, it's a it's a joy and a treat to watch it. I sometimes just kind of, you know, people get into the analysis and the X's nose and so many things that at so many points, but at some point, like I, I do just try to sit back and kind of just enjoy what we're watching, which is incredible to see. We've never seen anything like this. You know, Phil Kessel never hit his current all-star break goal total. And I loved Phil Kessel. I thought he was a great leaf. So, you know, at some point you kind of just have to say, this is outrageous. The, the reason the grade is a little bit lower is honestly, at the end of the day, his, He's tracking for his lowest shot share per like percentage, his Corsi at five on five since his third season in the league. And I think it shows. I think they've had extended times where they're hemmed into the zone. I think he plays a role in that. I thought Adam Lowry handed him his lunch two day two games in a row. I could almost get it one game. You know, you're back, long road trip. Keith tried to give them the out. But I thought Lowry again just handed it to him on the Saturday night. You know, he had multiple mini breakaways or breakaways straight up because of Austin Matthews. Um, I do think it's a little bit of a microcosm of his play. I think he struggled against top guys. I think Nathan McKinnon came in and had his way with him. I think the Oilers came, you know, the Leafs went into Edmonton and the Oilers had their way with him. You know, and at the end of the day, that's the team is built around him and matching up against top guys. And I think it's come out flat a little bit in some of those bigger matchups i think if you know you can obviously drop back to any number of playoff series Barkoff handled him he didn't score a goal in that series i know he was productive against tampa but if we're being honest tampa outplayed them and i thought Braden point outplayed him in particular in that series especially a five on five uh you know ultimately i want to see more from him in terms of of driving and controlling play I think he's able to take over games. We've obviously seen that. And his goal scoring is ultimately outrageous. But I expect, you know, the he's the highest paid player in the league right now. I like the the expectations are astronomical. I think from a goal scoring perspective, he's doing it from the other perspectives, including the penalty kill, where I, I really did not like him on it. That like saying he added that to his duties was it's just more like he went there and did it, but I didn't think he was good. And I would actually really like to not see him there oh that's interesting i i didn't hate him on the penalty i thought he was a he did a good job of defending the line and preventing entries uh like that's where you notice his quick stick and his hands i know that like nylander had done a better job of like you say messing up the neutral zone and creating some opportunities the other way than matthews did but again i you know i, I don't think he's some ace in that regard but i would definitely yeah. see more of it 
I mean, he's still a star. So if the puck is in his vicinity, he can get it back. And he's he's a big, strong guy. So, you know, if the puck is in his radius, yeah, he's still going to win it. So I'd rather see that as opposed to, uh, you know, I'll just always go back to him as, as Alex Kerfoot, where 50-50 puck, he loses every time. So, you know, in that sense, great for Matthews. But in the sense of actively going out of his way to disrupt things, you know, closing the right lanes, having his stick in the right spot, just it wasn't uh, it wasn't what I would have wanted to see from him in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I still think it could be. I'm still interested in it, but I understand why Keith has gone with the guys that he's gone with in more recent weeks. Uh, next on our list is Mitch Marner. Um, I'm going to drop it to a C. It's hard to go really, really low because, you know, the production is more or less there. Not, you know, it's, it's high, I guess. It's not as high as you want it to be. I think the goal scoring has been pretty good. There's been some instances of um, Marner, you know, getting finding shots in places where maybe he hadn't in the past. But at the same time, when I think of what Marner can really do for the least, you know, beyond a gaudy point total, because he's going to play top minutes with top guys and he's a good playmaker. I think of, of special teams. Like I think, okay, here's a guy who's going to be the key distributor on the power play. Here's a guy who's running on the first penalty killing unit. Like this is one of the reasons why he has this incredible amount of ice time. And so when the Leafs are currently, as we stand 11th on the power play and 18th on the penalty kill, that, I mean, obviously you can't put that on one guy's shoulder, but for me, that's a bit of an indictment of Marner because he's supposed to be someone who helps get them over the top on both sides of that. You combine that with a uh, scoring pace that's a little bit off what you'd want from him and just, you know, kind of just watching him, just not quite the same moments of brilliance kind of on a night-to-night basis from a playmaking standpoint. I'm going to put it at a C. Um, I could see you going, I don't know, you could go lower or higher than that. And it would be valid, I think. Marner, I'm honestly quite torn on because he's still he's still super productive and he still does a, a ton of really good things for the team. And, you know, I'm trying not to be negative about the players. I'm just trying to be honest about where I would slot them in terms of my expectations for them. And a large part of that is the expectations they put on themselves and what's tied to their salaries and whatnot. So I was a little bit higher with Marner. I I had him at a B minus because, you know, he's, he's still going to track for 90 plus points at the moment. Um, I do think he, you know, offers a number of things across the ice where, where it's kind of losing me is one. I do think he plays a role in, in some of the penalty killing troubles and again, the five on five, which I think is tied to Matthews, you know, to me, those guys should be hopping over the boards and be dominant. They should be what we saw McKinnon and Rantanen do to them. Right. That like, That's what they are. Like they're, they're supposed yeah, to be that. That's Batman the salary combo. is a, is allotted for that. You know, when yeah. you're throwing out that much money on the line, the line's got to consistently ham its opponent in. Those guys should be, you know, hopping the boards and, and it should, you should be giddy to see them hopping on the ice and it just, you know, again, both of them. So, you know, Matthews gets the higher grade to me because I think he's been, uh, I think Marner is more responsible for that. The part that gets tricky for me and I, you know, it's (laughs) who's to blame here is up for debate is I think he plays too much. I think he makes business decisions on the ice in terms of when he's going to go hard for pucks and when he's not because he's playing so much and who's at fault for that is really up to debate, right? Is it is it the coaching staff for overplaying him, or is Marner playing a role in how much his ice time is juiced up? And I'm not going to get into that debate. I'm just acknowledging the realities of I, you know, I think he wants that ice time and responsibility. I'm not sure it's the best thing for him or this team. I just I ultimately look at it and say, I think there's just been a lack of signature Mitch Marner games this year, right? Early on in his career, there were games where you would see it the first few shifts and he would look light as a feather on his feet and he would be dancing out there. And every shift that he went out, it was electric. And we don't really see that anymore from him. 
I think a large part of that is because of how much he plays and he's conserving himself. And I don't even blame him for conserving himself. But is he conserving himself because of his demands or is it because the coaching staff is lapping up the ice time on him? I'm you could spend all day trying to break that down. I just I look at him and say I think he should drive more five on five. I think the penalty kill should be better with him on it. I think the power play, you know, similar to Nylander getting shot happy from the perimeter. I think the power play gets silly at times because of him. Like he'll pull up top for no reason. Uh, there's a number of times where I've seen him just actively look off shooters to float nonsense to the net. You know, it's, it's things like that. He can, I think he can do a better job of buying into the greater good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting chicken and egg with the coaching situation, which we're going to get to and the, what, to what degree he drives that. I mean, it's not good coaching if he, if the coach is allowing him to drive that, to be honest. So like you can, whichever way you cut it, it's not great from that perspective. Uh, I think you're right in that, you know, there might be a less is more. Like if we saw Marner for closer to 19, 20 a night, like would he be fresher? Would he be more electric? As the team is currently constructed, we're just probably not going to find out. Uh, The next guy on the list is John Tavares. I had a lot of difficulty with this one um, because you could argue that he's done a better job of driving play at five on five than he did last year. I mean, his expected goals... Uh, are over 55% at five on five. He's got a 7.5% shooting percentage, which is kind of ridiculous for a guy who spends all his time around the net and has hands like he does. Like natural Statric has his individual expected goals for the season at 26 at all strengths. Now I think, you know, you don't take that as gospel necessarily, but the idea of Tavares is that he puts himself in good position to convert scoring opportunities and then he does that at a good clip and he just hasn't and so it's hard to say like is he unlucky is he snake bit and this is a similar conversation we're probably gonna have with Bertuzzi but at the end of the day I had to give him a C plus because I think a lot of the fundamentals of what he does is there and I you know I think there's an alternate universe where he's having a much better season but at the end of the day the production is just not you know, it's not there. And at this point in his career, when he doesn't offer that much defensive value, he has to produce. So maybe, yeah, I, I'm kind of in between a C and a C plus. I'll give him out. You know what? I'm going to give him a C because I think uh, I don't want to give him better than Marner considering the disparity in their production. I'll give him a C. Yeah. And uh, that's the reminder because, you know, if, like you said, if Simon Benoit gets an A, and Nylander oh, gets a no one's plus. saying about an A. Yeah, it, I'm saying, but it just in general yeah, sense, yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean that Benoit is better or has been better than Nylander. It's just relative no. to expectations. I actually still have him around um, a B minus. I honestly debated a B. I know the production has started to dip, but my expectations were that the production was going to start to dip. I think, I think he's done a a good job you know which you kind of referenced in terms of five on five play you know he's barely you know he's 26 and 25 five on five for goals so he's plus one and five on five goals for the season so far which is by no means great so that's probably what pushes him down to a b minus for me but by and large i think that's that's been their best line this season and I know Nylander got the B plus because Nylander, I expect more in terms of driving that line and being the guy. And, and that's what he is now supposed to be. But I think in terms of like what you can reasonably expect from John Tavares, he's kind of done that, right? He's excellent on the faceoff circle. I, you know, I find it hard to ever really sit there and, and criticize his effort. I think he's, consistent in what he does and what he brings i think he's been good on the four checks still i still think he's strong down low you know as you said like his process and and creating chances i think he's been there you know that line has been uh like solid territorially i think that's where it'll get interesting with with tyler bertuzzi when he comes up because i think he grades really well and everything but production <laughs> So that will yeah. that's he's a difficult one to grade in that sense too. I ultimately shade to B minus because I I do think I do think he can bear down more production wise, and you know 
part of that is just on him, like finishing better. Like he's capable. I very much think he's capable of producing a little bit more still, even though I know that he's aging in his career. But, um, you know, in terms of of like second line center, which is what he is on the team. And, you know, if you remove some of the other things out of the equation, like I, I think he's generally done what you kind of would expect him to. So I think our early learnings are that I'm a more extreme grader than you on both ends of the spectrum and you're more level-headed, which I would have guessed the opposite going into this <laughs> experiment, to be honest. But uh, it's good to know. It's good for the audience to keep that in mind, have the context. Uh, the next guy is someone I'm not going to give an extreme grade to, though. Uh, and that's Max Domi, who I have at a solid B. He's someone who has produced offense at five on five pretty at a pretty good clip. He's third on the team in five on five points per 60. So he's ahead of Nylander and Tavares. He's behind Marner and Matthews only. Uh, I think he's a creative playmaker. I enjoy watching him play. Moving him to center has energized him. It's been night and day. Like you really didn't do anything on the wing. Um, at the same time, Clearly, there are defensive issues. Clearly, there's issues of trust with the coach. He, from a sort of play-driving, territorial possession, however you want to talk about that, he sort of held his own, but in the context of not necessarily playing very difficult opposition, being held off, doing too much defensive zone face-off. So he's been put in favorable positions and sort of stalemated those positions, which is not ideal. But I still, generally speaking, have liked how he's played over the last few weeks and thought, given in the context of how little he plays, he has been productive. And he, I think, would really help on the power play if they had more time to use him there. So for a lot of the guys coming up, my kind of thought process in, in looking at them was what did, you know, which started kind of just now with John Tavares and is further extrapolated with Max Domi is kind of what were my expectations for him going into the season? I expected him to provide secondary scoring. I think he's reasonably done that. Um, I expected him to be a piece they could kind of move around that, you know, could provide a jolt here or there. I don't really think he's been given that opportunity. You know, there's definitely been times where I could sit there and say, you know, especially going into the season, I would have thought, oh, okay, maybe you move him up with with Marner at points, uh, kind of rekindle the junior connection. And, and you know, maybe he slots in on the top or even second line left wing spot and ends up, you know, being a, a score down the stretch when, you know, you, you condense the lines and you're double shifting and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think he's been given that opportunity at all. I mean, I don't think it's just a fact. He has not been given that opportunity. You know, you mentioned it early on. Okay, they kind of went through the process of he can't play wing. I do find that disappointing that he hasn't just, like, I've, I said this last week, he, you know, he has to be one of the only players in the league that actively gets worse when he goes from center to wing. Winger has to be the easiest job in the league. You skate up and down a wall. You have half the ice at your disposal. It, it's you've seen so many guys do it in the league where they just move to wing and it's like, yeah, this is the easiest thing ever. Like Claude Giroux. Well, we'll get to Holmberg. I mean, obviously not like a, on yeah. a Claude Giroux, yeah. Giroux level, but he was indivisible yeah. at center and yeah. he started making a little bit of an impact on the wing. Yeah. He moves to wing. It's like, Oh my God, you just get up and down the wall and get, get pucks out and you offense on half the ice. And it's the easiest job. No offense to anyone listening. That's a winger, but it's by far the easiest position in the league. Somehow Max Domi gets worse there. So, all that to say is I have him at a B in terms of he has pro legitimately provided secondary scoring. I think he's had a few game-breaking moments, which I you know love to see. I think the one time he was called in to fill in in the top six, he was excellent in the Pittsburgh game that Austin Matthews missed. I think back to you know big goal against Boston in the third period to tie the game. He set up a beauty against Ottawa in the third period. Like he's provided a little bit of that game breaking. My probably my biggest issues beyond him not being moved around is him not doing enough to earn that and him also not shooting enough. Like he needs to have more than four goals. He's not even launching a shot and a half on net per game. I actually do think he has a good shot. Like one of his goals, 
against Buffalo where he kind of walked in from the half wall and just ripped one far side shelf. He can shoot it. I think there's clear evidence that he can shoot it. But in 47 games, he has 65 shots. That's just not good enough. He's got to put pucks on net more. I know, you know, we we knew going in that he was a good passer and he's definitely made some excellent passes and set up teammates and, and had some great assists. But at some point, you got to keep teams honest. I don't think he does a good enough job balancing that. I think that is on him. I think he needs to show some evolution in his game. I think some of the, you know, physicality, I think there's been just weeks on end where his body's just not making contact with a, an opponent's body. So I'd like to see him shoot more. I'd like to see him get involved a little bit more physically. I don't know if that's because he doesn't get to play that much. And I also don't know if he's forcing the coach's hand necessarily to play him more. But he's provided secondary scoring, which is kind of what you expected from him. There we go. We have our first aligned grade on uh, Max Domi. Next up is Tyler Bertuzzi. A lot of the things I said about Tavares apply to Bertuzzi. I think the difference for me is that Tavares is someone who I expect to convert at a above average rate. Like that's kind of part of the shtick with Tavares is that he's going to be converting these high level opportunities. Whereas Bertuzzi, you know, there's been a level of him being snake bitten that I wouldn't have anticipated. But at the same time, I didn't come in thinking, oh, this is a guy. I know he's got the one scoring season on the resume, but I don't. Watching Tyler Bertuzzi, I didn't come in thinking, oh, this is a guy who's an elite level scorer. So at the end of all of that, like he's got the second best on ice expected goals on the team at 57.99%. He's been one of their better players in terms of forechecking, uh, puck retrieval, sustaining offensive pressure. I don't know. I just like I like what he brings to the table. I think that he has been a bit unlucky. And so I'm going to give him a B minus with the understanding that um, if a few things had gone his way, I think it'd be easy to imagine us really singing his praises because a lot of what he's done has been relatively solid. But at the end of the day, the people do, you know, especially someone comes in and, you know, making a half decent amount of money to be a top six player, there is an aspect of you have to produce and he has not produced to the expectations. Yeah, so... Ultimately, my expectations kind of coming in for him were, to be honest, to be on the top line. And I still want to see more of that. I still want to see them try Matthews, Marner and Bertuzzi for an extended period. Agreed. Maybe not even Marner. I think you could I think you could put Yarncroc there and it would give you it would open up all sorts of possibilities throughout the rest of the lineup. But we'll get to the coaching grade when there's time. (laughs) So. Bertuzzi, I mean, there's just no excusing a 36-point pace. Like, that end of the day, that's just the reality. However, he's basically not getting any power play time. And I did expect him to get looks on the top unit. That has not happened at all. That's not his fault. I Especially think when offer... Tavares has struggled. Like, he's someone you can yeah. slot into that spot pretty confidently to do a lot of the same things. And so that was sort of a, the obvious tweak for me that they never really did. The past three weeks, they've literally had Nylander pull up top and they have Morgan Riley chilling by the goal line as if he can do anything on the goal line of a power play. And Bertuzzi's watching it on the bench on power plays that he's drawing. It's I I would be beside myself if I was Bertuzzi watching some of the things that he's had to see from the bench on the power play. You know, Max Domi, he doesn't have that argument because is he ultimately going to look and be like, I should be playing on the power play on the half wall? over Matthews and Nylander? No, he has no argument. But Bertuzzi could sit there and say, you're telling me I can't go in front of the net and do a better job? I, I think he easily has that argument in his pocket. So I I am a little bit frustrated with that. The point pace is not lost on me. I think he... Again, it, it's a little bit chicken and egg. You know, he started this season slow. Could he have, you know, could we have seen more of him on the top line and potentially what he could have done and and opening up a whole host of options for the team. Yes. It, you know, he takes some blame in that for how he played to start the season. At the same time, the, you know, the coaching staff could be a little bit more flexible on how they're running things and trying things out. But that second line to me has been the best version of the second line we've seen in this era, you know, with, with Alex Kerfoot there, people will know. I just, I never liked it. 
a lot I, of Alex Kerfa talk. Yeah, on this, I, uh, this edition, which is it's funny I, because I always really hated watching Kerfa play, and it's funny I, to step into this role where you're I, also a huge hater. We haven't discussed I, it. I legitimately cannot understand the pining over Alex Kerfa. It's like I can't believe we have this grinder. We don't have this grinder anymore that just took empty calorie shifts all the time, but looked around like he skated fast and <laughs> you know last like last year that line had was like was dead even in goals for and against and that was like the line that we ultimately saw him turn to in the playoffs and it's and it was brutal and i think with bertuzzi there i mean they're outscoring opponents they're out possessing opponents even with bertuzzi's lack of production he you know by and large has been driving play you know five on five it's 31 goals for 22 against to you know it's a near 59 goals for percentage. I think he's played a huge role in that. I think he's done great work in front of the net. I think he hasn't been rewarded at times when he should have. I think there's been a number of goals where he's played a big role in them without actually collecting a point. I think he works the walls effectively. He does all, he does a ton of things that I wanted him to do minus scoring and minus playing on the top line. So I think he takes some blame for that. I think the coaching staff does. And ultimately that just arrives me to be for him. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue. I think that B is sort of the high end of what you can give him just because at a certain point, again, the production yeah. has to be there, but I'm fine with a B. The next man up is gonna be Matthew Nyes, who has is playing sort of his first full NHL season. He's skated on the first line with uh, Matthews and Marner a decent amount. He started the season playing more with Domi on the third line. I think at the end of the day. Some this is a sort of a positive development season. You can see a lot of what makes Nyes such a compelling prospect, what means that he probably has a bright future at the NHL level. So this made him difficult to grade for me. Like I think in a sense, the the Nyes trajectory is going fine in terms of his season. We had a pretty lengthy discussion about it before, a couple episodes ago, about him kind of struggling to be the role player they sort of need him to be right now and how he hasn't done as much with some of his five on five opportunities as you might want. I'm going to give him a B minus, but it is a difficult one to grade because his play has been disappointing at times, but it's also pretty understandable what's going on right now. I agree with the B minus for Matthew Nyes. I think ultimately that a lot of the issues we're seeing we could see them worked through properly in the American League. The leaf salary cap situation and overall talent depth situation kind of necessitates him being up with the league, right? You know, in the NHL right now. And so him playing on the top line, it's just more glaring if he has issues on the breakout. You know, to me, it's it's the breakout. I think he struggles on the wall at times. And it's actually the physicality because he's build as a power forward when he came to the team he discussed being a power forward i think we go too long like too long stretches without seeing him really be physical at all you know we've seen flashes crushed riley Gregg before a goal against ottawa you know they played nashville right after he had two big hits in that game the gordy howe hat trick against pittsburgh there's definitely been moments but it's been few and far between i think we kind of see you know, he's a young kid in the NHL and at times he kind of gets pushed around the the Evan Bouchard cross check from behind and then him kind of lying on the ice casually looking at the ref asking for a call didn't sit well with me. I'd, you know, I'd like to see a quote unquote power forward get up and kind of confront a guy who did that to him as opposed to stare at the ref. I think it's I think it is tough to play with Matthews and Marner at times. I think it's easy to kind of get lulled into making skill plays because you see them do it all the time. And I think he kind of gets guilty of that. At the same time, I think he's reasonably tracking for a productive season, considering he's not playing on the power play basically at all. I think that's also a little bit of a coaching issue. Like you can't you can't have this young kid up and not put him on the second power play unit to get touches, you know, just for if nothing else, confidence, maybe the, you know, extra point here or there kind of thing. So um, I'm not down on him in terms of uh, trajectory. I just think it's a tough spot when you're kind of walking into the league and moving to the top line and what that's required of you from a night to night basis, playing against opponents, best players. And 
I think, you know, all the time we see people talk about, yeah, just, you know, this prospect will come in and they'll just, you know, they'll go right to the top and it'll be awesome. And this is more to me of what that looks like. I think, I think fans here were a little bit spoiled with Matthews and Marner and, and the way that those guys all entered the league, but that's not real life for, you know, 95 plus percent of guys who come into the NHL and especially for guys who haven't played a game in the American League. Yeah, and it's also not a fair comparison with him being, you know, not as high traffic as some of those other guys. You know, like he had a lot of hype in part because the Leafs have not been developing good forwards in the last few years. And so he was sort of the guy and that made it easier for people to get, you know, overly enthusiastic about him, which is not, again, not to say he doesn't have a very bright future. Um, the next guy on this list, I don't, as we kind of go through it, I think there'll be some players that maybe there isn't that much to discuss. This is yeah. this guy is one of those guys for me. I mean, I may be wrong, but I'm giving Kale Yarncroke a a C plus, and in brackets I wrote blah. Like it, he's just you know I know that Keith uses him as sort of a Swiss Army knife, and there's a lot of things he can do, and he has been doing those things, but I don't think there's any realm where he's exceeded expectations or really fallen vastly short of like i don't know you could give him as high as a b and i wouldn't be super against it but there's not that much production here and the on ice numbers aren't great for someone who's played with some decent lines um yeah i mean he's just a guy that i i don't feel like there's a ton on him he's sort of around he's kicking around like in a in a kerfoot mold but maybe a, a little bit uh don't ever Maybe compare anyone to Alex Kerfoot. <laughs> there you go. Maybe not at that level, but yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I have him as a B. Um, I think he's just done his job. You know, he's been yeah. kind of what I expected him to be. He, he takes good shifts. He's responsible. Um, he's outscoring opponents at five on five. He's been reasonably productive. You know, he cashes in on chances when he gets them. I think, I think the biggest, honestly, I think the biggest knock has really been I think Keith trusts him too much uh, in sure. a sense. Yeah. And I think that that has actively hurt him from a line mate perspective. I think, I think people and, and Keith in particular have sat there and went, well, we need to put him with Domi to protect him because he's so bad defensively. And I think it actually hurts yarn And I think it was, it was bizarre to me when, when yarn went down with the, with the broken knuckles. And I, I have no idea if it's just like my Twitter feed or if that is actually a microcosm for how, you know, Lee fans by and large view, but it was like, oh my God, Kerf or, you know, yarn is out Kerfoot. Yarn is a, you know, sneaky big loss. Like he does so much for the team, like blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting there just reading everything going, you would swear this guy's prime Mitch Marner. The he way... does so much for the team because Sheldon Keefe has him do so yeah. much for the team, not necessarily because he's excellent at everything he does. The third line was completely fine. I actually quite liked them in that Winnipeg Saturday game with Holmberg there. I definitely did not watch that game and went, oh man, I wish Yarncroc was on the third line right now. This would be just a life-changing moment for the game. I actually went and watched that game and thought they could they could actually just move Yarncroc up to the top line. Like they don't need to do this like charade thing where they think that they need Yarncroc to be some sort of defensive anchor for the third line. I don't think that's necessary or true at all. I still think he's the best at, at this time. I think he is the best option they have to play on the top line left wing spot. I thought he was quite good there last year. I thought his shot was notable. I thought he fit in really nicely in terms of understanding his role and getting to the right spots and all of those things. So yeah, to me, he just kind of, he's done his job. I think the coaching staff could actually use him a little bit better and a little bit smarter. And I think we would see, I think his play will honestly stay the same. I think just his usage will actually just make people think more favorably of him. There's a, a couple of times late in games where he was used as a sixth attacker. And I was like, come on. Like, oh, seriously? Yeah. Like, like you, again, Tyler Bertuzzi so much, on the bench going, yeah, this Bertuzzi, is real. Like even, you know, Nyes, if you want a body at the net, like Domi, if you want someone to distribute. I like, I don't know. He was at best the fourth best uh, option and he was getting that. So like, there's just this level of faith. It's not in his him. fault though. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. Uh, okay. So next guy on the list, Nick Robertson. This is one where the grade would have been very different depending on when the question was asked. Right now, I want to give him a B. I think he's providing secondary scoring punch. He's fourth on the team on five on five points per 60 behind between Domi and Nylander. Like, 
he, you know, the shot, we all know about the shot, but it does pop off sometimes. There have been some ugly moments defensively, but, you know, talk about a guy who has been really struggling to establish himself at the NHL level for a variety of reasons. He has, you got to say he's at least met expectations, or at least I would say that. And, you know, the, the Maple Leafs just don't have a lot of guys below their top four they can rely on to create offense. And for Robertson's flaws, is you know his lack of size and sometimes defensive awareness and some decision making with the puck. Like there's things you can nitpick. There's a reason he's been out of the lineup, but he's provided that when other guys have not. So I actually have him a little bit higher for once. I actually have him at a B plus. So in the summer, I was really surprised by this. I I wrote kind of as a throwaway at some point that I think Robertson's a twenty goal guy in the league. Like if you give him eighty two games, I think he gets twenty goals, and it received a lot of negative comments or like uh, backlash or however you want to phrase it. That was what it received. And it was in part because he at that point had played 31 games in the league and had three goals. So it, you know, it was a lot of how could you actually say that he has three goals in 31 career games and you think this guy can just score 20. And I was like, yeah, I think he has a great shot. I think if he gets chances, he grease him up with a little bit of power play time. This is a 20 goal guy in the league. As far as I'm concerned, and he has seven and 29, you know, barely any power play time playing third line minutes, not even third. He's playing realistically he's been playing fourth line minutes because it's not like he's playing 12 a night even. And yeah, so the reason I give him a B plus is because I always thought he was this a good secondary scoring option. The reason he gets a little bit of a grade bump is I am starting to see some of that development in his game. I thought early on when he entered the league and when he was just rushed into the NHL by the Leafs a few years ago and crazily playing in the playoffs. I thought people were just strangely excited by the fact that he would just put his head down and shoot all the time. And it kind of greased up some of his numbers in terms of like shot totals and people would be like, wow, I was sick. Like this rookie had five shots in a game. It was like, he literally just would take the puck and shoot it. Like he wouldn't look around at a teammate. He wouldn't try to make a play. I think he's really starting to evolve as, as to being, uh, like a key cog offensively on a line. You know, he he shows signs of moving the puck around, of of getting to right spots, of making actual decisions with the puck as opposed to just relying on the fact that he has an unbelievable shot and using it all the time. So I've really enjoyed starting to see that development in his game. I think since he was reinserted into the lineup, you know, if we did this three weeks ago, you're right, I would have given him a lower grade because to me he faded when he played, you know, 24 straight games. But since he's come back in, you could kind of, it's not the hop in his step, but he's always kind of had that. It's how he's developing a little bit better in terms of breaking pucks out, of being strong on pucks. He is a small guy, obviously. I think everyone's aware of that. When he got hurt last year, to me, he kind of unnecessarily went into a battle with Matt Roy and he lost that, which was to be expected, and he got hurt. I think he picks and chooses his spots a little better, which he needs to. I think he's strong on his stick. I like quite a few things about what he's doing and how he's starting to show those positive signs. Like, whereas I compare to Matthew Nyes, like I want to see a little bit more of those positive signs trending where honestly, I want to see Matthew Nyes run a few guys and I want to see him be, you know, start showing improvements on the breakout and that kind of thing. I, Nye, Robertson is older and has played more pro hockey than him. I think we're starting to see that those little things in his game starting to improve. Nice isn't there yet. That's kind of where I have them. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I like, I think Robertson deserves a, a higher grade than Nice for sure. I mean, he's, he's such an interesting player because he has this level of experience to an extent, but he's also only played 60 games at the NHL level. So it, it's only hard 22. To... Yeah, it's hard because he's he's young and his his games played total is low, but he's also had multiple tastes of the league. And so from a developmental standpoint, he's just an unusual case. And it's hard to know how to conceptualize him sometimes, but I think they have to be happy with what they're getting from him. We're moving now into sort of the the fourth line. We can just rapid fire uh, these guys. So I think we can yeah go through quickly. I got Gregor, Noah Gregor at a C plus. I think he's a player who's easy to overrate because he's fast. Um, the on ice numbers are not great. He's done some penalty killing, which actually surprisingly he's not done a ton of in his career and has looked competent at that, but it's hard for me to give him 
a huge, he had that one massive game against the Panthers where he kind of threw them over the top, which in theory could have ramifications later in the year, but realistically hard for me to give him a great grade. Yeah. C minus for me, honestly, the only reason it's that high is because he's showing something as a penalty killer, but otherwise I don't think he's given them any reason to believe he can uh, be trusted late in games defensively. I think there's been too many long stretches of play where it's just hard to even notice him and you actively have to go out of your way to find him in the course of a game. I think he could be more physical. I think he can, I think he could do a lot of things better. I think he's flashed it sporadically, but from a consistent standpoint, it's just not there. Okay. So the other fourth line guys, I guess we'll serve, I'll, I'll leave Holmberg for last because he doesn't really fit the category. So I'll just do the other th- three fourth line guys quickly. Camp, I have him at a C minus. The penalty killing isn't there. That's not totally his fault, but he's a big part of it. His whole thing was that he kind of stalemates other teams who are in beneficial situations. So that's what he's done for the last two years. This year, he really just has not done that. Uh, I'm giving Reeves a D. He, it's tough because it's a, he's done exactly what you would expect in a sense, but like it just it's ugly and it doesn't work. Uh, from my perspective, I gave Bobby McMahon, who I have a, I'll admit I have a soft spot for. I gave him a B minus. Maybe you could I, you could convince me he deserves less than that. Um, but I, I like the energy. I like the tiny bit of skill that he has and the size. And um, he's easier for me to dream on than Gregor in terms of being a consistent fourth line contributor. What do you got on those guys? Yeah, I honestly debated giving Camp a D. I ended up at C minus as well. And the main reasons why are that he's at, you know, his best line mates are basically so far this season are the weird fit that he had with Nyes and Domi. So that never made sense. And then other than that, it's Noah Gregor, a PTO that was released from the worst team in the league. And Bobby McMahon, a guy that cleared waivers. Like those are that like that's not good line mates. Those are not that's not putting him in a situation to excel at the same time. I think he's made bizarre decisions offensively. I think he's pushing the envelope a little bit to try to justify scoring more and it's actively making it worse. I think the penalty kill has been bad and he plays a large part in that. And it's weird because his faceoff percentage is basically the same as last year, but he's had some real tough stretches where they've just actively stopped using him as a faceoff man because it's been so bad. Like there was a point where Cali Yarncroft was just taking PK one faceoffs because Camp couldn't like not only could he not win it but he was losing it so clean it was so detrimental to what they were doing and you know that that was what they signed him for penalty kill checking faceoffs and when you're getting pulled off faceoffs and the penalty kill stinks and the fourth line can't be trusted you know I'm almost giving him a pass for the third one because line mates are bad but the other two no chance. Yeah, it's a bit of a what do you do here situation. Um, yeah, Reeves is not ungradable to me. It just doesn't matter what is whatever you want to call it. I don't. I don't care. Yeah, you could uh, call it a B or a D just based on what your expectations are. I guess. Yeah, I I just would have. Yeah, I guess if I really had to grade him, I'd I'd probably say a D just in the sense that, um, even when he did play like large stretches, other than apparently when he's coming off a healthy scratch, it's just like he just has games where he's just not involved or it was. Um, it was like weird things where other teams were building, building off of, you know, him like strangely yapping it up, like against Chicago, you know, like you can't, you can't be the fourth line guy that runs your mouth. And then the guy that you did it to scores the game winner and you barely play, you know, like that, like that's not your role. Um, and you know, it could be more physical. You can't be saying things like if I was on the ice with Marshawn, it would have been different. And like, you were clearly on the ice with him at times. Just, yeah, like that, that doesn't fly for me. It, I love physicality. I love, you know, the, um, you know, what goes into a hockey game and that side of things, but it just hasn't been enough for me. And Bobby McMahon, ultimately a C. Like I, I think he's, I think he's been a little bit underwhelming. Like he did get an extended run of games. I expected a little bit more from him again, kind of like Gregor. He faded into the background a little bit too much for me. I think he's been better than Gregor five on five and he's flashed more consistently but on a night-to-night basis i want to see more from him to wrap the forwards i got holmberg at a b quiet at center really didn't do much again kind of like camp shitty line mates uh, a role in that when he was being the fourth line center and then he's been more effective on the wing you know when they push up the lineup 
I think it, it kind of exposed him a little bit in terms of sort of his hands and his ability to finish. And uh, we kind of saw the reason why he's never really produced offensively at any level. But, you know, he, you know, throw him in the yarn croak pile where he can do a lot of things for you at like not an impressive level. Yeah. Uh, I think a B plus just again, in terms of my expectations, that B is kind of the barometer of like, are you meeting my general expectations of you? And I think he slightly exceeded them. You know, just he looks like a legitimate chess piece to me. Like you can move him around a little bit. I have no, you know, I'm never going to argue that he should be a staple on line one. I don't think that, but I think he could competently take the odd shift there, you know, and then he's showing that he can help close games that he can play a little bit more on a checking line with David camp, or he can move up and play with Max Stomi on a little bit and provide a little bit more of a two-way guy. Like he's, he's proving himself to be a little bit more versatile than maybe I expected of him. And honestly, I just wish he could shoot. If he could shoot, I think you'd have a real player there. He can't apparently, uh, but I think he's crafty with the puck. I think he has some skill to his game and all those things. So B plus it just, it's slightly better than I thought. On the D side, uh, starting with the top two guys, I got Morgan Riley on a B plus, uh, the defensive metrics are tough. You can blame Brody to some extent for what's gone on with that pair. I, I sort of do. Uh, Riley, I th- think, has been fairly explosive offensively, you know, especially compared to last season. On the power play, I've never been super impressed. I, he's sort of a facilitator, and he's been asked to do some weird stuff, as he sort of referenced earlier. He's been la- asked to come down deeper in the zone where he's not potentially that effective. But uh, if again, we're using that B as the expectations line, he has sort of slightly exceeded expectations for me. And then as a spoiler, I'll say that I got Brody at a C minus. Yeah, I actually have Riley at an A. Um, I think I think a lot of the struggles of some of those numbers are due to what's around him and not just TJ Brody, who I think has been bad. Clearly, I've been saying it for a month now. Um, but I also, again, as you know, to the beginning of this episode is is I think Matthews and Marner have kind of fallen short in terms of what some of their responsibilities are and driving play and, it, you know, so on and so forth. I don't want to rehash it. So to me, I, I think Riley's been excellent. Um, he's been an offensive force. I think by and large, when they've played big games, he's been, or, you know, against top teams. I think he has been really good, you know, including like that Edmonton game, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was one of the only reasons they were getting the puck out of their zone. So he can only do so much in that situation. He's playing a ton, like a ton. Um, He's all things considered still ahead in five on five goals for versus against. I don't know what more he could possibly do. You know, they just, they need help defensively. Clearly. Yeah, they and, need someone who can play with them. And Brody can't really right now. Like that's just the reality. Yeah. And I I have I have Brody at a C. Um, so slightly higher. He's obviously falling behind. I thought I didn't think he would be a guy that I would want in a top role in the playoffs after last year. I did think that he would competently get through 82 games this year, though. You know, he was kind of I was kind of like, well, he's a veteran. He can still move around pretty well. I bet you he'll just, you know, an 82 game regular season is, is a different speed. You know, it's like the Martin St. Louis guys play the NHL at 80%. Like I thought I was like, yeah, at 80% Brody can kind of coast through 82 games by and large, uh, but not even that anymore. I, I think and nightly now there are glaring mistakes being made. The reason he gets a C for me is I, I think he's generally okay on the penalty kill I, you know, I think he also takes some responsibility in terms of their penalty kill struggles, but I don't think he's been the problem. And I think he's helped the penalty kill more than he's hurt it. Yeah, he he needs to play less. It's obvious. For the other top four guys, I'm going to give Jake McCabe a, a B plus. I think maybe that's weighting his recent work a little bit more potentially because he, he kind of scuffled out of the gate. Um, but I like what he's done on the right side, him and Simone Benoit, who we'll get to has been, you know, strangely effective more so than I would have imagined. Some of his offensive work is 
um, you know, it's just more productive than it's been in the past, which is good because my previous read on McCabe when he first came to the Leafs was like, this is a guy who's awfully adventurous for someone who doesn't produce anything. And now he's starting to um, justify some of the risk taking that he does at five on five. And then Timothy Lilligren on the other side of that coin, I had him at a B minus. You get kind of solid on ice numbers from him. But at the same time, not as much offensive juice as you might hope for a guy with his shot and some of his abilities and just, you know, strange blunders, as we've discussed before with him. Um, so maybe my expectations were too high, but he's someone who's fallen a little short for me. Yeah, McCabe, I have I also have at an A. Um, he's playing the right side. I don't know who expected that out of him this year, and he's been good at it. So I think that's huge. He has been productive. I think he's one of the best open ice hitting defensemen in the league right now. He's kind of cleaned up some of, you know, the defensive adventures that he would go on uh, compared to last year. Like, I think he's definitely, and also the start of this year. I wish, I wish he was a little bit more ahead in terms of goals for or against, but by and large at five on five, but by and large, I think, Right-handed, or sorry, right side as a left. He's been productive offensively. I also did not expect him to be able to be the best player on his pairing, but he obviously is with Benoit. And so he, you know, again, when you're the best player, that means you carry the pairing and there's more responsibility on you. And I think he's done a pretty good job in that role. So, yeah, I, I don't know what more you could reasonably ask for from Jake McCabe with Simon Benoit's partner. And I like Simon Benoit a lot, but just being honest about it. Timothy Lilligren, B minus. Like, I don't think he's been bad. I just want to see that step in his career. And I just don't think it has happened yet. I just, he, you know, he, he, he flirts with you. He teases. Like, he, he, yeah, he's just, and he's living in that four five zone that's like, and you want to see yeah. him live in the three four zone. Like, no one, I don't think anyone's expecting him to be a very high quality top pair defenseman at any point in his career. But I think that they, we just keep waiting for him to solidify himself as the top four guy. And he's sort of fringy. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I keep reminding myself that he hasn't even played 200 games in the league yet. You know, some of his development overlapped with, with COVID shutdowns and whatnot. That plays a role for sure. I like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not as ready to give up on him as others. I, I think there's a legit player there. I think, you know, if you have a right-handed defenseman with his tools, you you extend every possible avenue to see what you can get out of him, so on and so forth. So I just, you know, I expectations-wise, I was hoping he would take a bit more of a step. So far, it hasn't happened this year. So we're going to go to the sort of bottom pair types here, uh, and I'll just rattle them off. We've got Mark Giordano. I'm giving him a C. You know, I, it's just not looking great out there i don't like when he's been given power play two minutes those have looked ugly to me it just there have been times when him and lilligren has worked as a pair but overall i think we just sort of continue to see some of the stuff we saw in last year's playoffs connor timmons tempted to go to the b plus uh best on ice numbers on the team but in an extremely sheltered role he's got some jump he's had some dicey defensive moments i just i like what he brings um, kind of helping with the secondary scoring in his own way, but I left that at a B. Logason, B minus, whatever, sort of a little bit of toughness, probably decent stand-in. And then uh, Simon Benoit, as referenced at the top of the show, I, I didn't uh, didn't give him an A. I, I went with A minus just because he's exceeded expectations by such an extent and provided them like very legitimate, solid defensive minutes in a tough role in a way that, um, yeah, I think he's kind of blown away expectations. I can't go all the way to an A because, like, it just his offensive effect on the game, like he sucks up offense on both ends of the ice. Uh, he does just has nothing to give. So I can't go all the way to an A, but I, I was comfortable with an A-. minus. Yeah, I think an A- minus is fair for, for Benoit. Um, I think a lot of people were just quick to pull up an arbitrary chart in the summer and say this guy sucks at hockey without contextualizing the fact that he played on a terrible Anaheim team was way overplayed, had a bad partner, any number of reasons that went into those actual numbers. Um, like I, 
thought at the time that they signed him that he could be a bit of a diamond in the rough. He logged huge minutes in the league already. That's how you gain experience, even through trials and tribulations. He's young. He's physical. He does a lot of things I like. The A- minus instead of an A is because I'd like to see him really lock in and solidify as a penalty killer. It, it's been a little bit on the outskirts, but it's okay. To- I don't think that's his fault necessarily. I think he's played well in the penalty kill, and yeah. uh, he deserves more time, I- to be honest. Agreed. And I'm hoping that comes and then he like gives them no choice the way he did just to be in the lineup in the first place. So, you know, that's the next step to him for me. It's never going to be the offensive production piece. Like you'd like to see a little bit more, obviously, than, you know, a guy who's going to if potentially be a regular play, like, you know, get not even 10 points for the season playing like 18 plus a night. That's tough. But if he brings what he brings and adds in being a staple on the penalty kill and can help you close games and the physicality and blah, 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 like that's that's a really awesome third pairing defenseman. Um, the other guys, uh, Giordano C plus for me. Um, you know, he's slightly below expectations, but I don't know what the expectations could have been for 40 year olds. I think he could be in and out of the lineup more. I still think he's good on the penalty kill that that's probably the thing that's saving him in the lineup on a nightly basis. I do think he's one of their best penalty killers and you know, he's a warrior and he's fearless in terms of blocking shots. the, thing that's been bizarre to me is is how much he's trying to make plays with a puck on his stick you know there was like a point where he tried to kind of do like a toe drag behind the net against winnipeg and it came it was like it was insane i was like how how are you doing this week you know i flagged the um the vancouver goal where he just skated up on the four check for no reason like two minutes into the game just like weird things like that i'm like why like how how did you arrive at this decision you've been in the league for a million years you can't you know that that's been tough to watch uh, but otherwise kind of been what, what I expected. And, uh, and Timmons is probably a B minus for me in the sense that I really want to want to see him push for a regular roster spot. I don't think he's done enough to do to do that, but to, you know, the points that you said, I don't think he's necessarily been bad. And in fact, I thought the game in Toronto against Winnipeg, the first one, I thought he was one of their better defensemen in that game. I thought he was really good moving the puck. I thought he was effective. I thought he actually, that was the kind of game where I actually would have kept playing him on Saturday as opposed to putting in Giordano. Uh, so, you know, I still think he could make I kind of like him with Benoit. I kind of like that pairing. Like, I kind of want to see that. I know that McCabe and Benoit has been, has been nice together, but I kind of want to see him and Ben. It's just, they're so diametrically opposed. Like, it's kind of the, the ideal of what you want out of that defense pair. We have the one full offense-minded guy, the one def- full defense-minded guy. Yeah. I let's. I want to give a little bit of time for coaching because that's kind of been uh, some breadcrumbs all the way through the episode. So I want to go through goaltending pretty quickly. Also, I just don't think there's a ton to say. Uh, I gave Samsonov a C- because... You know, he's bounced back lately, but he was absolutely brutal at the beginning of the year. Um, arguably same, for his same for yeah, whatever. I gave Jones an A minus because like the expectations were so low and he was so critical to that one stretch of their season. Maybe that's a little bit much, but my you know, he had had years and years of below average results every single season. Um, so I was expecting very little, and he gave them a nice, you know, 17 games of well above average goaltending, way more than I would have guessed. But if you want to go lower than that, that's understandable for me. And I gave Wall a B plus because he kind of reinforced the fact that he's like, he's a guy. We don't know fully 100% where he's going to net out, but he just keeps providing evidence that if he's healthy, he's a good goaltender. Yeah, I have an A minus for Jones as well. You know, I think he's kind of coming back to reality, but in terms of, you know, the expectations were maybe he'd barely play or, or spot start the odd game. And then he became the starter for a run and helped him kind of smooth things out. That's way above expectations for me. Wall I have is a B minus. And that's just because I never really questioned if he was a guy. He like, he looked like he has the goods. He, I, I think he's a guy. I, you know, you can say this is unfair and that I, I would get that. I just, He's got to show he can stay healthy. That's honestly the biggest thing that he needs to show. You can say freak accident or injury or, you know, shit happens or all, you know, you can phrase it however you want. But end of the day, he's been hurt basically every year of his career. At some point, you need to show you can stay healthy. Like it's, you know, the best ability is availability and he doesn't have it. And so it's disappointing to me. 
that's fair. I'm less inclined to hold that against him yet, but it is understandable, especially when durability plays such a role in whether guys are perceived as sort of a tandem or a starter. Uh, let's finish this off here with coaching. It's a big uh, thing. You could do a whole podcast on the coaching. I left it at a C, to be honest. I think a lot of the things we've discussed today about him overplaying, keep overplaying certain players, trusting certain players a little bit too much, guys like Yarncroke, guys like Marner. Uh, there just hasn't been much experimentation either with the lines or with the power play. And, you know, it, the season has also, just from a results standpoint, the Maple Leafs just have not achieved the results you kind of figured they would achieve. So from that standpoint, I, I don't want to give him like a full D. It hasn't been some disaster where he's, you know, the players are speaking out against him. He's lost the room or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think C, you could even argue C is generous. I don't, I wouldn't go higher than C. I would, I'd actually, I'd say a B minus. Um, so that's like slightly below expectations because I still think they're very much going to track to be in a hundred point team. And even if they're slightly off it right now, I, I feel generally okay about where they're at. You know, coaching can only do so much about the goaltending that they've had at hand. And I do think that they've legitimately taken strides defensively and have kind of evened out some of their play the reason it's a B minus for me is because I just, I ultimately look at it and say one of their biggest strengths to me going into the season was finally some offensive depth and some real talent that you could spread out across three lines. And he hasn't been able to create or build that. I think he's just kind of fallen back to the same things, which offer them a reasonably high floor, but not a high ceiling. And so I, you know, he might sit there and say, well, that's not my fault. That's just the personnel I have. Like, how much can I play Nick Robertson and Max Domi? And I'd say I think you can get more out of the group as a whole if you leverage the top guys that you have to make the players better, the players around them better, as opposed to pairing them up and letting them lap it up together, of which they also have not been that great together. Like, they've been good, but they haven't been tilt the ice, dominant, incredible. So I think he could do more from that standpoint. I I think it's noteworthy that he like they have shown like le they've made legitimate strides defensively, so I I think he I think he does deserve some kudos for that. I also definitely don't think it's his fault that the defense is bad. I think that's just the hand that he's been dealt. So, and same with goaltending. The, what I would add to that is that for me, the reality is that the, where the Leafs are at as as a franchise is somewhere where the floor shouldn't matter as quite so much and that it should be more about experimentation because we've sort of seen these iterations of the team quite a few times now. And so if you are bringing back the same core, the same guys from my coach, I want to see how are you going to make things different? How are you going to make sure that this year is not another chapter in the same story? And to, he hasn't risen to that. Yeah. Uh, we are going to end it there. We appreciate all you guys tuning in listening in wherever you do as per always i want to call out that we love when you guys leave reviews leave ratings and just tell people about the podcast so we can keep growing it throughout the season and we will be with you again next week I know what